Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City, and I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. You know, it's been about 20 years since I was in college, and I was curious if things are any different. I mean, sure, there's online dating apps and things like that now, but I thought for sure some ways that we used to interact back then are still the ways that the youngins are interacting today, but oh no, Dr. Aditi Paul set me straight. She's done some research. Her book, The Current Collegiate Hookup Culture, sheds some light on what the young folks are doing these days. She found some surprising results. The good news is the kids are all right, for real. Commitment is making a comeback. 70% reported using protection in their last sexual encounter. And a lot of people report, even if they have just a short-term hookup, that it's not completely meaningless to them. They're learning lessons as they go along the way and recognizing some things about themselves, their wants, their needs, their desires. We also pondered as we were thinking about Twitter and how it's sort of the last bastion of free speech on the internet and social media. Um, we're wondering if Jack's a freak. If anyone out there has any info on whether at Jack is a freak, hit me up. I'm just, I'm, I just, I gotta know. He has to be. I mean, come on. Come on. If you are a parent of a college-aged kid or uh, a parent of a child who may soon be in college, I hope that some of the results that, that Dr. Paul shared make you feel a little bit better. I am fairly certain if you are a parent listening to this podcast, you're pretty sex positive and hopefully you are trying to help uh, push that onto your kids to make sure that they, in turn, are also sex positive, both for their benefit and for the benefit of everyone else around them. Also, I apologize. I have a bit of a sinus infection, so you're getting my sales voice right now. <laughs> if I don't talk like this, I'm going to sound like this. And um, while well, I'm sure some of you like that, <laughs> I'm sure many of you don't. So pardon me as I sound a little exasperated <laughs> as I try to talk in my uh, not normal voice. Still got some workshops coming up. Check out my website, openthedoorscoaching.com shop to see what I've got coming up for you. And you can also check out that page to see what workshops have you missed. There's videos there that you can still purchase. My Better Sex workshop series is intended to help make sure that you, wherever you are, if you consider yourself a beginner, intermediate, or even expert level. It's designed to help increase your connection with your partner, increase your connection with your desire and your understanding of yourself and just help you have even better sex. That's why I call it the Better Sex Series. You can also get on my email list, either my Save for Work or Dirty Bird list. We'll keep you informed about upcoming workshops. The April issue of The Pitch is on newsstands. My editor, they make me feel so good about my work. They were like, this might be your best work yet. They thought last month was my best work when I did an article about The Strand. However, uh, I got to interview Ashley Manta, the canisexual herself, to talk about cannabis and sex. We went through some research. Pretty soon I'm going to have her on the podcast and we'll do a little more of a deep dive. 
I was very, very excited to be able to interview Ashley Manta for my April pitch article in the 420 issue. So you can find that on newsstands, or if you are listening after April 18th, you can find it online as well. Okay, my throat hurts. I'm going to let you get to the episode. Enjoy. All right, on my episode of Keep Them Coming today, I am joined by a researcher who actually reached out to me because, you know, she's got some really cool stuff to share. So I'm sure she is trying to find as many people and as many platforms as she can to share some really cool information. I'm joined by Dr. Aditi Paul, who is a researcher, professor, and author, and she's based in New York City. And she recently wrote a book about college hookup culture. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kristen, for having me. You make me sound so nice and interesting. Um, I, I hope I carry that same vibe when I when I meet people in real life. <laughs> well, I mean, to me, anyone who is doing research about sex and hookup culture is an interesting person. Oh, like, thank there's you. no way you can't not be. <laughs> I completely. I, I use my research as clickbait for my personalities. <laughs> I hear that. I have plenty of clickbait out there on my stuff. So, well, your book is called The Current Collegiate Hookup Culture, Dating Apps, Hookup Scripts, and Sexual Outcomes. And from what I gather, this book is really trying to challenge some, I think some media perceptions, or I'm I'm sorry, media depictions, and then some public misperceptions. So yeah, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and your book. Um, thank you again. And and you're right. You're absolutely bang on the money that uh, when I s- decided to write this book, it was not like I woke up in the morning and I wanted to write a book. What I saw were things or I was reading things that I knew were not the current state of hookup culture in college campuses. And some of the most influential books out there on hookup culture have been written in 2008 or 2010 or 2016. Mm -hmm. And with the way society is changing, like what was invented yesterday is already old news. So a lot of these discussions that scholars were having seemed to be dated. They were not wrong, but they just seemed dated. So for example, there was this big study that was done by NYU professors uh, back in 2005 to 2011. And they surveyed close to 22,000 students talking about their romantic and sexual partners. And within that data collection, when they broke it down where students met their hookup partners, it showed that only 2.5% of those hookup partners were met on online contexts. Now, can you imagine just 2.5% of people meeting their partners online seems so outdated. And some of the venues that they were talking about were like, craigslist and adultfriendfinder.com and i'm like this is very disturbing on a visceral scale like on a cellular level i feel attacked um because people have moved on and and how i mean if you look at a pew research right now 48 percent of 18 to 24 old, 24 year olds mentioned being on a dating app so and and that is not adultfriendfinder.com um mm-hmm. So I wanted to capture that, that is, how has that landscape changed? How has online dating membership changed? Um, And college students, over 70% are on online dating apps and not just one, multiple ones. Whether they use it or not is a different story. They just have it in their phones, Uh, either through curiosity or just to entertain themselves, they are using online dating apps. 
And another thing that I saw uh, came from my reading of students uh, in the New York City campus that I teach. Um, when they talk about hookups, um, it's very different than traditional hookups that we think about where you're thinking about frat parties and you're thinking about sorority houses and you go over there, it's a social, everybody is size zero, predominantly white, you're drinking, uh, then you, uh, you know, in your drunken haze, you find a cute guy, you start grinding and then if they are really good looking, your friends tell you that, you know, you should smash them. And <laughs> Then you turn around and then you do something sexual in the morning when you wake up, you're like, oh, my God, what did I do? And that is that is the stereotypical way we think about hookups. And when my students were talking about that, first of all, Pace University in New York does not have traditional dorms and, and fraternity and sorority houses don't exist in cityscapes. So that was very evident to me. And even in more traditional campuses like, you know, a Penn State or, or a Michigan State, even if there are dorms and the setting setup is more conventional than a city school, not everybody is white. Not everybody is a fraternity brother. Not everybody is a sorority sister. Not everybody has access to these parties. So you're telling me they're not hanging out? They're right. not looking up? Like, what are they doing? And those are the things that motivated me to do a, a study. And I really hope, and I've said this before, that I ho do hope this becomes one of the first studies uh, and not the only study that has looked into uh, how Gen Z is uh, navigating casual sexual relations, be it through dating apps, be it through parties, be it through school. What what is their sexual diet look like? Um, because I surveyed 318 students, uh, even though they were from across the US, it's still 318. They cannot speak for the 100,000 students that are going to college. So I hope that that this that this research opens doors for more conversations. Very good. Yeah, I was looking over, you know, just some info about your book. And I see that you you really are trying to you know, tackle some of those questions that are related not just to being a uh, cis white. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. one of your questions was like, are LGBT students really hooking up more than straight students? Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and really, as you said, with Gen Z, is it really all about, as you call it, like sneaky links, meaning mm -hmm. like just things on the down low or situationships where it's just that uh, what older folks would call it, it's complicated? It's very complicated. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine we actually put up those uh, statuses on Facebook for public display that it's complicated, like airing out your dirty laundry? <laughs> I don't think that I have ever had it's complicated on my, my status. <laughs> we just have it internally. We just have these like internal conversations with ourselves. Yeah, it's complicated. In fact, what I typically do before I'm going to change, it's been a while since I've done this, but before I was going to change from in a relationship or married mm -hmm. uh, to not, I just removed that as being private. A, it yeah. made it, I moved it to private. Oh, yeah. I switched oh, yeah. it. I waited a while and then eventually yeah. I put it up as, as public information. Right, right. So that way, uh, yeah. I, I read this meme somewhere where they said that, you know, I don't like those couples who are all coupley um, and they're putting all these like me, I mean, you know, posts on social media and they break up and they don't tell anybody. And I'm like, come on, Gretchen, we were invested in your relationship. We want closure too. So like, <laughs> I mean, 
And I felt that, you know, like I have been following the trajectory of your relationship uh, through incognito windows. And now you're just going to not post and we're going to be okay with that. Like that is not acceptable behavior. So um, I have definitely felt the sting of looking at someone's page and be like, oh, they broke up. Yeah, I know, right? You're so invested in the relationship. It's like it's like a reality TV series on Instagram. Like, very much. We've gone through this. Like, you know, we have seen her put self help quotes, and like, you know, you can get primers of like their <laughs> relationship going somewhere. Oh, um, girl stories will shift hard <laughs> when you get to like, oh, something's up with her. Let me something is going on. on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, all of a sudden we become like Instagram algorithms, like trying to predict everything that's happening in oh. life. But um, you know, there's also something that's so sad to me about the life that we will present oftentimes on social media versus what's yeah. going on IRL. There mm-hmm. are times where I start to get maybe like little tiny hints, like, hmm, I wonder if something's going on, yeah. but they're keeping up that facade. Yeah. Everything looks just fine on socials, but yeah. then they're messaging me about like, girl, I think I'm worried. I, uh, what if we're going to get a divorce? I'm like, oh. I know it's like I, my students, they keep me young. My students really do keep me young. They said the longer the caption, the shittier the relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I felt that. I'm like, you're right. That's that's cool. So like, you know, I wanted to do justice to my students. I'm like, okay, let me be the accurate representation of your voices. <laughs> Thank you for that, kids. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we I I love that you've got a like classroom full of people to kind of keep you young at heart. I oh yeah. I feel like I'm missing out sometimes on that. Although I did I did go out this weekend mm-hmm. to like a, a record store opening and I was looking around, I was like I think I am one of the oldest people here at 41. I'm okay with that. Yeah. But like, let me see how the kids are dressed and how they're doing. They're like, wow, this is different. This is different. Okay. This is, this okay. is um, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> all you can come up with an okay. Like, honestly, you can, all we can do is like, okay. I all was right. seeing stuff that was definitely throwback to some mm-hmm. things that I have seen like long before. Definitely some 90s styles coming back yeah. that I was really I never thought I was going to see again. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, and, and it's so ironic. It's not even like they're just like, oh, this is what's hip. They're like, mmm, this is just the ironic thing to do. So I'm going to wear this 90s outfit. And it's like, oh, God. yeah. I think uh, another, that's not a joke. <laughs> another dynamic that I think is at play is like, you know, the, the generation that always comes after us has a tendency to revolt against the generation that went before them. Um, and you know, millennials, we we know what life was just IRL. We know what life is online and IRL. So we are what you call digital immigrants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, college students right now, they're digital natives. They're, they're, they're born and raised with the technology that we went crazy for. And we didn't know what to navigate. It was so new and we just learned. But that, that learning curve is not even there for them. So it's talking about like things coming back in fashion commitment is coming back in fashion where their their sneaky links and situationships they're understanding that this this is not serving them they're uh, they're they're zapped out of energy so even if they have that um they're aware of the frustrations that are that are that is causing that so they're not they're not actively seeking that they're getting into that trap but they're not seeking it out intentionally they're they're understanding the the cons and pros of of these situationships of these sneaky links. 
Mm-hmm. Good. I, you know, I think with everything, we have those pendulum swings back and oh, forth. Yeah. And I knew that it was just a matter of time before I mean, everyone was so worried about hookup culture, about like, right. oh, it's going to be the demise of our society. And are people ever going to care about other humans that want connection? Like, yeah, of course they are. They're going to get tired of this one day. Everyone gets tired of that one day. Yeah. I spent four years single after my divorce. And once I was like, mm, this has been fun, but like, I think I'm done with it. Yeah. Almost immediately found a guy who was ready for a committed relationship. Can you imagine? Wow. That's, that's awesome. It is is partly just about what headspace you're in and human beings really are wired for connection. Yeah. So as Mm -hmm. much as there was this and still exists, obviously hookup culture is still there. It's just shifting. I think, of course, it's probably what your research show, which we'll talk more about. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that people are recognizing that it perhaps serves its, its time and purpose in your life, but that obviously there comes a day where you wake up and go like, "Mm, okay, done with that. Done with that. Yeah. And there, um, what I will say is, uh, this idea that like hookups are meaningless, that's changing, um, where they want hookups to be meaningful, not probably not meaningful as like, I want to turn it into a relationship, but more like, I want to be, I want to be friends with this person. Um, because, a part of their hookups, and I, I was looking at, I, I asked them like a sneaky minx that I told them, listen, tell me what happens in a, in a, in a hookup. Like we all know what happens on a date, right? Like, you know, somebody picks somebody up, you go for coffee, whatever. Then if you like each other, then you probably do something and then you lock in the second date. Um, so I wanted to know what are the steps that you take when you say that you're hooking up with somebody because mm-hmm. that's so vague. Um, and I found out that there are f- essentially five elements to when you're hooking up with somebody. So one of them obviously is engage in physical contact, like you'll do something sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, there is talking, uh, there is hanging out, there is attending event that you're going somewhere or doing something. Um, and the the last one is evaluating each other. That is, do you like them the way they look, the way they talk? Do you like talking to them? And that is such a shift from what we think hookups are. Like you go in there, you bang the fuck out of this person and then you get out. Like that's, that's not what they are looking for. There is, they know their hookup partners. They're familiar with their hookup partners. They're hooking up with them on an average of like once a month to two to three weeks, once in two to three, uh, two to three to five weeks, uh, 47% of them are still in touch with their hookup partner, 75% of them wanted something romantic with their hookup partner. So it's not as cold as we mm-hmm. think hookups are. Um, it's probably becoming a goalpost in the trajectory of relationship development. Um, that's how I think about it. That is, you know, before it was very like, straightforward like you meet somebody you like them you get married and then as society progressed and we have more personal freedom and we have more sexual freedom we add steps to that relationship where you know that this is not the person you have to lock yourself in with uh let me figure out if i like this person or not let me figure out if i like myself in this relationship or not so as we are navigating that of course you're adding time and, and of course there is dalliance in a relationship, but does that essentially make it meaningless? I don't think so. There is not a lot of emotional distancing that they're doing. They want to keep hookups warm. That's the best way to put it. I love the way that you're describing that. And 
a lot of that was exactly what I experienced when I was going through my single time. I, I hooked up with my very first partner really young. Like we were 20 and 21 and then we were together until I was 29. So I didn't get to do anything fun in my twenties with dating and hookups. Really. I had a few fun times in college, but yeah, that the people that I was hooking up with in my single time in my thirties were often younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes up to a decade younger than me. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, <laughs> He's um, <laughs> yeah. and that was exactly what we were once or twice a month, mm-hmm. you know, kept the catch, but still we're friends several. I am still friends with on Facebook or we follow each other on Instagram. Yeah. I know which ones of them have had babies since they're <laughs> married, you know, uh, text hell. I texted one of them this last weekend to say like, Hey, how's it going? How you been doing? And cause we are just friends actually also went to the movies with another one this weekend with my partner. So mm-hmm. I absolutely gained something from my hookups. Very, very few of them were completely meaningless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, 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 they're tepid relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't, you don't feel strongly. You, you mean, you're not like, Ooh, I just want to like catch flights, not feelings. And I'm going to do everything to like, keep you away. Well, sometimes it was just a good release. And this guy is decent. This girl is decent. Like I want you in my orbit. I don't want you my, I, I don't want you to be my entire planet, but I want you around. And you know, if needs arise, who's to say? That's a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. So how did you interview these college students? Was it mostly survey? Was it in person? Like, how did you get the information from these college students? Um, I uh, recruited Qualtrics to do the survey dissemination for me. I was not about to sit across the table and be like, so tell me, um, what did you do during your hookup? Was it breast stimulation? Was it genital touching? Like, because I asked all those questions to them because I wanted to know what kind of behaviors they were doing. So I'm not going to be that person to ask those questions face to face. And that's that's not appropriate in terms of um, if you want uh, the the correct information to, to get from them. So as a researcher, in order to create that distance, you do want to keep yourself anonymous, you want to keep them anonymous as well. So I did use a survey based research. Um, and um, I asked them a horde of questions, I asked them about their sexual attitudes, I asked them about uh, their sexual behaviors in terms of self exploration, in terms of sexual uh, consumption, so like porn, how, how many times do they watch porn, uh, do they masturbate, how many sexual partners they have had, how many hookup partners they've had, and then ask them where did they meet a majority of these hookup partners, if they have a preference, if they do have a preference, why do they have a preference, and then a bunch of questions about their last hookup that went straight from where did you meet them? Did you add them on social media? Did you have mutual friends with them? What did you do during the hookup? Um, did you experience an orgasm if you had sex? Did you use a condom? Um, and did you regret the, the hookup or not? I'm really curious about what you have found through that survey for their health outcomes or how are they taking care of their sexual health? Because I did see numbers come out a couple of years ago that said if Americans were having as much safer sex as they said that they were, that condom sales would be a lot higher. Yeah. So what, what did you find with uh, safer sex practices through your survey? 
Good news for all the parents out there. If your kids are having sex, they are having safe sex. 70% of students reported that they used protection or a condom. Um, one thing which was very interesting to me was white lesbian women ha had the highest chances of unprotected sex. Now, the thing is, like when you're talking about same-sex relationships in terms of like female-on-female -female relationships, to be honest with you, I wanted to ask you that question. Like, what kind of protection do you need for lesbian relationships? Am I being a completely ignorant person or...? No, you're you're not being completely ignorant. Um, I actually this last week had an event and I had dental dams on hand, mm -hmm. and it was a lesbian that was like, "Who's going to use these?" I was like, "Well, if you're not in a committed monogamous sexual relationship, perhaps you should be." Yeah. Like, what? Who who would let me do? That? I'm like, okay, but let's think about this. Yeah. Our culture is such that we have come to the expectation that a penis needs to have a condom on it if we're going to do things with it, mm -hmm. but we don't for oral. We still are like not there. We don't think that flavored condoms are okay for oral, mm -hmm. um, but for, for vaginal penetrative intercourse, we understand that condoms should be used when yeah. we are not in a relationship with this person, yeah. but we have such a huge problem with utilizing that. any form of protection for lesbian intercourse, for oral sex, yeah. even some anal play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I did see that, that like, you know, there was, there was no like uh, mention of protection, you, protection when it came to oral sex and also same sex relationships between uh, women. So that was interesting. I'm like, okay, if you're a lesbian, then buy some dental dams. Like, you know, we should like, we should be using that. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. we should. Absolutely. Um, when I have a condom bowl and I have dental dams, no one ever takes the dental dams. I kid you not. Uh, I, it, there is still a lot of stigma around the use of protection or again, just this I don't know, innate belief that like, oh, you're fine for oral sex and people don't understand that you can catch, <laughs> you can catch chlamydia, you can catch gonorrhea, you can get herpes. Yeah. Like, um, I, I don't know what it's going to take to get people to understand that in same sex, especially women and women, uh, yeah, you, you need to be using protection as well. Yeah. But I don't know what it's going to take to get them to understand that. Yeah, maybe maybe make it more, um, make it more known. Um, mm -hmm. Because to be honest with you, I don't know what a dental dam looks like. Because when I was doing my research on this, um, and one of the reviewers asked me that, okay, uh, you have said that you know um, homosexual same sex relationships are less likely to use protection. What was the divide between um, men and women? And and, and you should add, address that. And that's when I that's when I read up on literature and I found out dental dams. I'm like, what even is a dental dam? I have no idea. So if you can show me a dental dam, then I'll know. What does it even look I like? I have a dental dam here for you. So it comes in a packet sort of like this. It's like a zip up packet and it's got a cover over it. So mm -hmm. it's just a, a piece of, of latex. Um, they call it dental dam because, you know, at the dentist office, they put it over you and then open that up. Uh, but it's super How stretchy perform oral sex with that oh my gosh like I used... that <laughs> now see now i know why <laughs> 
guys might want to say it doesn't feel the same. <laughs> it's not good. Okay. So latex, here's the thing about latex. It does prevent heat transfer. And that's why with condoms, a lot of people with penises complain about not feeling much. Mm. This is a fairly like thin latex. I will say that's super stretchy. Um, mm. But for like underneath you, whether you're put, putting this on an anus or a vulva, put some lube on it put that over and then lick away. You can also open up a cut, open a condom and do, mm -hmm. do it with that. Uh, you can also take a glove and sort of cut it up open and use the thumb part of it. Um, that makes for an interesting one, but yeah, I think that there's just, this seems oh, the only reference I've ever seen in pop culture to a dental dam was in Eastbound and down. Have you ever seen that show on HBO? To your, to your support, I have an abysmally low idea of HBO shows. So like this, okay. not to say that you are in like a complete niche area is just also me not knowing anything about it. <laughs> well, like in the beginning of season two, he's got this gal and he wants to go fool around with her. And he's like, come on, come back to my truck. I got a dental dam for you. And she's like, the fuck's a dental dam? He's like, it's like a condom for your mouth. Cause you don't know what I got. So that's the only pop culture reference I've ever really seen to like, we're going to go have sex and we're going to use a dental dam. Mm, now I know what a dental dam. See, you brought me to this podcast thinking that you're going to learn a thing or two about hookups. <sighs> I am learning all of it about dental dams because in my head, I saw a dental dam. <laughs> I thought a dental dam looked like a night guard. Um, that's what I thought. Um, but now you're showing me it's a sheath of latex. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we'll, this will be a picture that we utilize on some social cover. media posts to talk about this podcast. <laughs> we're going like this. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, will, I will listen, watch, subscribe, share, review that episode if I see Perfect. you do uh, I did have a TikTok where I was talking about protection and I talked about dental dams. And I think what got it taken down was me putting that over my mouth and sticking my tongue out. Sorry, listeners, there's no video evidence for you. Maybe you should put it yet. on Twitter. Twitter allows anything. Twitter, Twitter is. It does allow everything. I should have put it, it up true. there. Like, you know, I think Jack, it also talks about the sexual permissiveness that maybe Jack Dorsey has. I think Jack Dorsey is highly sexually. He's got to be freak. I can smell it on him. Right? Like with his nose piercing. And I'm like, Jack, I think you have a dungeon with like, you're giving me very Fifty Shades vibes, which. Um... <laughs> My friend actually works at Square. I need to find, I need to have her find out if Jack's a freak. Yeah. Like not if Jack's a freak on a scale of one to ten, where where is his freaky level? Right. You know, that's that's what we need to find out. <laughs> I, I appreciate his uh lack of censorship for yeah, just my own personal page. It's Please, the yeah. one platform that I don't have anything taken anything. down. Yeah. Just put anything. <laughs> yeah. Uh well tell you what, let's take a quick break and then I do want to follow up on a couple of things again from your research. Uh, and I want to know more about you and your career as a researcher and again, where you sort of see this taking you. Wonderful. Let's do it. It's time for a quick break. I promise it'll just be a minute. So stay tuned. I'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid. Back from the break. 
again here with Dr. Aditi Paul, who is a researcher who has done huh, research about hookup culture. Um, so, you know, one point you made that is very, very valid is that you know, things can shift in our culture very, very quickly. Um, but something that has been talked about a lot in the last few years, especially in my circle, and I talk about all the time with my clients is the orgasm gap. Mm -hmm. Uh, so basically when there's a penis introduced, the amount of times that both people orgasm is significantly reduced. Mm -hmm. It is the, you are matched up the most, the least, meaning men have the most orgasms and women have the least orgasm when it's Mm -hmm. in that heterosexual pairing. Women have the most orgasms when they're with another woman. Men have the most orgasms when they're with other men. So, um, yeah. Are you seeing in the college hookup culture, the same kind of trends? So this is the funny thing about Gen Z where they have completely redefined what gender is, (laughs) but when it comes to gender roles, it's highly stereotypical. It's highly stereotypical in terms of orgasm gap. It's the same men are double. The men said that they experienced orgasm compared to women and double the women faked orgasm compared to men. So women are faking orgasm. Men are actually getting an orgasm and the scenario changes when you're talking about same-sex hookups where 80% of uh, lesbian women said that they experienced an orgasm. Now, um, another thing about the orgasm gap is it, it gets problematic when we equate satisfaction with orgasms. Or, orgasms are a part and a very essential part of female sexual pleasure, but it's not the only part. Yes. So, and we have heard about this narrative. So what I did was I was like, okay, so let's see how much of a part does it play? So I punched in a whole number of variables uh, to see out of all these variables, which variable predicts female sexual satisfaction the most and which variables predict male satisfaction the most. For females, orgasm was a significant predictor of satisfaction. Yes, they do not derive their satisfaction solely from orgasm, but it sure does help um, Mm -hmm. to have an orgasm. So yes, they want their bodies to feel nice. They want to be connected to this person, but they also want to experience orgasm. And quite contrary to what people think female sexuality works, especially in the hookup space, is this idea of sexual regret that women are supposed to be gatekeepers of sex and men are supposed to be pursuers of sex. And we think that sexual regret will happen to a female, that females will experience sexual regret when they escalate too quickly. That is, oh, I just signed up for a makeout session, but here I am having sex with this person and I'm going to be filled with regret. On the contrary, females showed to have more regret when they did not escalate. They Mm -hmm. should regret when they did not have a choice in the hookup. So I asked them the question, like, did you hook up with this person reluctantly? 
Like even when you didn't want to, you hooked up with this person. And we do that, right? I mean, we say, we, we do so many excuses and hedge so many times, like in cold states, like, you know, bargain our way out of uh, work. Uh, and, and we try to compromise everywhere. And it's happening in during sexual encounters where women are making out or like having sex with this person, even if they didn't want to. So that causes more sexual regret than escalating. And in terms of having regret, you know, and I, I thought like, listen, this is, this cannot be right. There are so many results, like there are so many times that I was finding out results when I thought I must have botched up the data. Like this is not right because a lot of these results don't make sense when you hear it for the first time. And then when you think about it again, then, then it makes sense. So for example, like people say that at the end of life, you don't regret the things that you do you regret the things that you don't. Now, if you think about it that way, yes, women would like regret things to not do, not doing things versus doing them. Uh, so long as you're doing them willfully and with consent. And that conditions apply, that consent um, is not being practiced as much as they'd like. And that's what's causing regret for their hookup encounters. I'm glad that you went there, you know, asking some of those questions and and yeah, even in my context, I'm thinking about it. There's, I definitely have more regret over like, dang it. I should have banged that guy when I had the chance than the guys that I did bang, but whether it was for like, ah, he'll do, mm-hmm. I, I, I will say I've been able to say to my mother, cause my mother listens to my podcast and she was like, I'm not going to like hear anything that I haven't like been told before. I'm like, well, I mean, yes, you're going to hear things you haven't been told before, but I am not one of the one in four who unfortunately has experienced, you know, sexual violence or anything like that in my lifetime. You know, I've never done anything that wasn't consensual. She's like, okay. It's like, but I have definitely banged guys that I in retrospect was like, that was lackluster or like he was just there, or maybe I was a little drunker than I would have liked to have been. And like went, went ahead and banged it out when I maybe would have waited another time. Right. But I, yeah, I don't regret those as much as I regret the guys that I either passed on (laughs) or, or I was like, well, I'll just wait till next time. And then we'll have sex. But then there wasn't a next time. Right. And like, dang it should have had it when I had the chance. (laughs) Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a fairly sexually confident person. I, I do also try to take my sexual health and my well being into, you know, account and, and to be cautious, you know, meeting people before I actually just go and have, again, what the public thought was hookups was just the, oh, I found you on Tinder. So now I'm going to show up at your house. No, mm-hmm. no, that means I'm going to show up for a drink and yeah. I want to find out who you are and then get to know you a little bit better. And I'm going to make sure that at least three friends know your name and where you live before That's I right. your house. <laughs> And Gen Z is so good at that. Like they will let their friends know because again, like they, they, they are more mature in the digital space than us uh, in some contexts. And, and, and this is one of them. And uh, for, for same-sex hookups, when I was asking men to talk about their, their hookup experiences there's so much planning like you at you're in their neighborhood you're asking if they're around and then you take some lube you take a condom and you go over there and it's much more clearer there that your intent is to hook up that you want to do something sexual now how to negotiate that sexual space 
it's uh, it's a different story but as as far as like intentionality of like i'm going to hook up and we're probably going to do something sexual if not sex mm-hmm. that's pretty clear at least when we're talking about dating apps did you ask some questions about how they determined what was a safe situation for them like how do they actually navigate a digital space and check up on a potential hookup or a, a person they want to date so i the way i asked them about vetting if i'm assuming you're, yeah. you're mm-hmm. vetting, vetting their their hookup partners even if you're meeting even if you're hooking up with somebody who's a stranger per se so this is particularly for students who met their hookup partners through dating apps so i asked them i asked students um did you have mutual friends with this person? 75% of students who met their hookup partners through school or parties or work said that they had mutual friends, which means that people knew their partners um, versus only 27% of students who met their partners through dating apps said that they had mutual friends. So you can deduce that this is possibly a stranger. Um, And I asked them, like, tell me about the sexual communication that happened between you and this person. What was the frequency of you communicating with this person? Did you add them on social media? Did you follow them on social media and they followed you back? Did you exchange phone numbers? Did you sext with them? And 80% of students said yes. So they're, they're not just showing up. There is a gradual increase in your familiarity with this partner, uh, either through text-based communication, digital communication, face-to-face communication, but they know. It's not just you met them today and then you're like hooking up with them later tonight. That's not what is happening. Good to hear. And I, I don't know if that, if it was just that there was a time period where that was the way that people were hooking up or, or was it just overinflated by the media? I mean, I could only count a small number of times and it, uh, it typically been my gay male friends who said, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't know the guy's name, but yeah, yeah, we just found each other online and I went to his place. We didn't learn each other's names. We just had sex. It was safer sex, but uh, he's like, I still don't know that person's name to this day. Yeah, that's um, so rare. Yet, I think the media or the public thinks that that's happening all the time. Yeah, one of the things, like I, I was, uh, so like this one kid says, met this girl at a party. She was very attractive. Had a slice of pizza and then drank some beer. We then fucked all night. So, <laughs> so you have that, and then you also have women who say literally have no clue who this guy is, other than he added me on Snap after we were both drunk and he started dancing with me, and after we started dancing, we hooked up. Um, so, you know, like these these trends do exist, but more often than not, those are the rare cases. Cases of like, we talked uh, for a long time and then like, you know, we decided to meet up. He was at the library or she was at the library. Those are much more common. Um, And also letting your friends know if at all you're meeting somebody through a dating app that you're going there is is pretty common practice as well. So they're, 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 they're very surveillance savvy. Did you also ask these, these kids, the Gen Zers, uh, what their proclivities were like around kink. You know, are they having vanilla sex or are they exploring kink as well? You know, I do want to preface it by saying that I think we are projecting 
too much of sexual confidence on these kids because they're still 18 to 24 year olds like as we can see that even if there is a lot of rara about sexual identity exploration in terms of sexual exploration pretty low-key kids because euphoria would have us thinking otherwise <laughs> so i wanted to make like let's talk about yeah. what reality is right yeah um some students say that the drug use that euphoria shows in high school pretty close to what they put what they had in terms of having sex or sexual exploration euphoria is over glamorized and just like anything like i came to the united states thinking that i'm signing up for american pie like that was not right i that that never happened to me i mean i've also granted that i was in grad school and and i had like i i, I was a nerd still am uh maybe a nerd with a 10 percent more personality but still a nerd um but that's that's an over inflated percentage i mean of course you have those you have those but you're still talking about very really like cisgender white greek row version of of uh hookups or even like um uh, varsity uh hookups where yeah like it happens but that's just 10 percent where the 90 percent is this normal version where they're just grabbing pizza they're having beer they're having something sexual um so to go going back to your question about like is it like euphoria no <laughs> it's Good. not like euphoria it's a it's not that edgy. They are, there is a significant increase in the number of students identifying as LGBTQIA+. Significant increase. So it's a weird space where they are exploring their sexual identity without or before doing something sexual. So you're questioning yourself like, oh, I'm attracted to men, attracted to women, I'm bisexual, but you may not have had sex or made out with either men or women. So you're trying to figure out what you are before doing it. And that could be tricky. That could even impede your you dipping your toe in uh, the sexual pool where you're so confused of what you'd like, what you don't like. like who do you even engage with so a lot of anxiety stems from there so to answer your question like we i think we're ascribing way too much of our fantasies on these gen z kids who are still in their formative years and still figuring out who they are they they're still flexing that muscle of like being confident and just going to a sex party <laughs> and <laughs> thank you uh, for that because i mean i'm in missouri so the politicians around here would have us thinking that simply because gen z has access on the internet to all this information about kink or they have access to fet life or porn exists that all of these youngins it's turning them gay and it's turning them kinky and that pretty soon everyone is just gonna want to wear their leather bustier to the office. And that's just not the truth. No, on, on the contrary, like bringing this to your attention, I don't wanna say normalize, I've used the word normalize way too many times for my comfort, but <laughs> it demystifies, demystifies a lot of these things where, yeah, like it's, it's, it's demystified at this point to talk about sexual orientation, where it was like, hush, hush before. Well, if you hush, hush everything about sex, you hush, hush everything related to sex. And a part of that is consent. And a part of that is assault. 
So who who is winning in this hush hush scenario except for your egos? Very well said. Very very well said. Well, on that last point that you just mentioned, um, what what has your research shown? I mean, a lot of times I think you know Sexual Assault Awareness Month does tend to focus on people born as female um, or assigned birth, assigned female at birth. Yes, one in four women will experience some form of sexual assault in their lifetime. But we are, I think, oftentimes forgetting that we need to just talk about people can experience sexual assault. So I'm curious what your research showed for the the men that are reporting. What were they reporting in, in your research? Um, again, like one of those scenarios where I was thoroughly confused with my own results uh, to the point where I started having imposter syndrome. I'm like, mm, did I do this right? Like, am I getting this right? Because I saw one in four men report that they were non-consensually touched. And that was surprising to me because I found those statistics in, in the female sphere. Like, you know, females will, will report being inappropriately touched or like, you know, being coerced into, into sexual um, acts. And then I read these books called Peggy Orenstein's Boys and Sex, The Shift Project of Columbia University. And then, to be honest with you, watch some stand-up comedians. Um, and they say, okay, so I, I'll quote this one guy, Andrew Schultz, who is so inappropriate, like he's so cancelable that he's uncancelable. So, like, how many counts are you going to cancel this person on? But he's he's pretty he's pretty he's very good with like cultural references. So he talks about uh, he he points to this uh, couple sitting in the audience and says, "Ma'am, I know consent is important. He should ask for consent, but have you asked?" for consent when you're when you're in the mood or you just go for his jewels and he should think that well like men the factory setting is like you're getting sex what are you even complaining about you got sex man like you even experienced an orgasm like what are you complaining about and to take the sexual agency of a man away from him and how is that fair right and it's a very confusing headspace for that particular individual as well where like think about it where if your parents tell you you need to read a book you need to read a book but they are on their ipads what 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 message are you getting Mm -hmm. so in a similar way when you're asking somebody you need to ask for consent you need to ask for consent but nobody's asking for their consent because their consent apparently is not necessary because you always want this and because very tricky right so you're absolutely right in saying that we need to have conversations about consent as people now here's another caveat that the person who's initiating the sexual relationship or sexual activity should ask for consent and 60 percent of men report initiating sexual activities so yes the onus is on them but for the other 40% where their partner has initiated the sexual activity, absolutely, they should have asked for consent. Yes, and thank you for pointing that out. I very much enjoy challenging people's mindsets about just what is. And I've definitely had to have that conversation with some couples about 
you do need to come up and ask him like, would you be in the mood for fooling around or want to make out? There needs to be something that's just checking in. Like, are you ready for something? Would you like to do something that their switch is not just permanently on? Mm -hmm. And I've heard on more than one occasion that the female, and I am talking very heteronormative here because a lot of my couples do happen to be, you know, heterosexual couples that she has expressed not enjoying him coming up and just grabbing her, especially grabbing her boobs, grabbing her butt. But then as they're trying to get more sexual, she's not considering the fact that she's needing to ask for that consent and at least try to say, check in, you know, are you in the mood for something like this? Could I approach you right now? And are you going to be receptive to it? And yeah, he might say yes a lot more often than you would have said yes, but it's still that respect being a two-way street of making sure like, are you ready for this shift? We were just sitting here on the couch. (laughs) Are you ready to stop doing what we're doing now and do this other thing? Or mm-hmm. would it bother you? Would it interrupt you? Are you not in the mood? Yeah. Yeah. Um, consent yeah. is absolutely a two-way street. Yeah. And it, and it goes back to what you said, like that, that word respect, like having respect for someone's choice. And this is, this is not a far stretch, but because we had the whole Will Smith incident happen, um, to also challenge our inherent understanding of male sexuality. That is, if your default setting is men should always desire sex and you're both working through that schema. So when he says no, you think what is wrong with him and you start challenging his masculinity. And he too, working under that false understanding goes back to like, you know, both of us, like, you know, um, sorry. So, and and he also thinks uh, that, okay, I should always want sex. So like having that cognitive dissonance and still pushing through, like nobody wins in this equation. So stepping away from those stereotypical should have mentalities to what is mentalities that this is what it is. And we should, we should take that as our radar rather than what we have talked about and been told about for ages and ages. Absolutely. And I think that's, that all ties into learning to be really present and authentic with who you are being vulnerable enough to say what you're thinking and what you're feeling and not just go along with either what the expectation is of the moment, what the expectation is of the other person or society, and just be real with where you're at right here. And right now with this other human being in front of you. That's exactly right. So I am curious you know, this, I, I have a feeling this is probably just the start for you in this field of research, but tell me more about like, where do you see yourself? Are, are you always going to be studying things that have to do with human sexuality or are you just more interested in just sort of what makes humans tick from a sociological standpoint or you know, tell me more about what you see yourself doing with future research? You're not going to get um, a shark tank answer from me because I'm not that person who thinks like my purpose is to talk about human sexuality till I'm 97 years old. Um, no, it piqued my interest and it was a, a, it was a seamless progression from what I was questioning then, because what I was questioning then was like, how are people using 
dating apps and a part of it was like people think they're using it for hookups but they're using it for something else and then that led me to okay what are hookups and I studied hookups and I found that oh there is a gap and then let me study everything about hookups so like that is just leads me from one question to the other um so am I going to be studying hookups or am I just obsessed with Gen Z that I will keep on studying Gen Z no my overarching goal is to get a more accurate understanding of human beings and to have a more empathetic understanding toward human beings. So that that I that is the one thing that I want uh, to lead me to different avenues in life. Um, now, whether it is in the realm of human sexuality, who knows? It could even be the metaverse. I mean, I have no idea, but like my overarching goal has always been to uh, come from a place of understanding and not like judgment. Um, and that requires us to know human beings for all their complexities, for all their vagaries, for all their nuances, and so on. Wonderful. Well, I think that's, you're really describing coming from a place of curiosity. You know, you just want to understand more about what makes people tick. And I love that you just followed the questions to see what rabbit holes it would lead you down. That's exactly right. That's what I did. Well, we definitely need more folks like yourself who are trying to help us understand, I think, especially with the intersection of, you know, how like the digital, like you say, the metaverse, how is that influencing our day-to-day behaviors? Because let's be real, the digital space has absolutely changed our lives. Mm-hmm. There are times where I'm like, how is, how is this our life now that we have to worry about? Like, did that comment mean something? Like, what were they saying with that emoji? I don't, what, what is this supposed to? And why am I looking at my own story 9,000 times? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ever, if I ever if I ever put something that that I think is funny on my stories I will at least laugh at it 15 times in a day uh, I'll go back and I'll be like yeah <laughs> I'm guilty of that too I'm guilty of that. <laughs> oh. well this this has been an absolutely fabulous conversation and I I need to get a copy for Please. sure I'd love to have a copy so um we need to talk about that offline but hey tell tell the listeners how how can they find you online how can they also get their own copy of your book so my book's name is The Current Collegiate Hookup Culture, uh, Dating Apps, Hookup strip, hookup Scripts, and Sexual Outcomes. Um, I'll be honest with you, the book is $95. I don't want to. Sp- I don't want you to spend $95 of your hard-earned money. Please go get a dental dam. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> condoms. Uh, please uh, get in touch with me. I will be happy to send you uh, a gratis chapter, whichever one you like, from my book. Uh, you can find me on uh, Dr. Aditi Paul com. That's my website. Uh, I am. Uh, I go by I am a DT Paul on Instagram. I am a DT Paul on Twitter. A DT Paul PhD on LinkedIn, and Facebook is not my go-to place to connect with uh, people, except for the motley group of like friends and family that I have. But if you'd like to connect over there, happy to connect over there as well. My name is Aditi Paul. Please get in touch if you just. V- v- viciously disagree with something that I said, I want to hear from you. And if you vehemently agree with what I said, I also want to hear from you as well. Perfect. Well, I am, I'm working on a book myself and I'm kind of at that phase where I I do want to probably do a survey. So maybe you and I need to talk a little bit more offline about how we can partner on something like that. So absolutely happy to happy to. 
Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on Keep Them Coming. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Kristen. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the dirty bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.